Welcome back to another episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. I'm your co-host, Brendan Bennett, and with me is your other co-host, David Dugan. David, what's up? Brendan, we are uh, we are doing well today. This is uh, this is actually podcast number two today. So cats out of Look the bag, us. recording Look at recording us. two in a day. We're warmed up. We're ready to go. Yeah, I think uh, where we're gonna be able to take this episode a little bit more is on the the mind of a real estate developer and and kind of how how that works with fund that flip, but also the other avenues that this person uh, takes from a business perspective. So. Dugan, let's uh, let's get in the intro and, and get him on here. Yeah, so today we have Dawson Gant. He is a 23 year old real estate investor and business entrepreneur. Began his real estate career at 18 as an agent. Saw an opportunity in the market at that point and transitioned from being an agent to uh, a real estate investment uh, entrepreneur. And so he built a company, uh, an eight-figure real estate company, in less than three years. Now he flips eight to ten homes monthly. Uh, he does a, a handful of ground-up developments as well. He does uh, some some e-commerce operations. And he is scaling his businesses both on the the building side as well as the renovation side. So hopefully I didn't butcher that too much, Dawson. But glad to have you on, man, and and introduce yourself and fill in the gaps where I might have missed him. Yeah, thanks so much, guys, for having me on. Like uh, David said, my name is Dawson Gant, uh, twenty three, soon to be twenty four. Have been extremely blessed and, and super grateful for the journey I've been on the last five years, and uh, have to credit a lot of that success to having great lending partners and people that understand the business just as much as I do. So uh, when I got this opportunity to come talk with my uh, main guys, my lenders, Fund That Flip, took it and, and, and happy to be here and, and share some knowledge and help in any way that I can. Hell yeah, man. I think just kind of off the rip. So you are uh, you got started when you were 18. Your, your wedge kind of into this space was in wholesaling. What, was, that, was that the goal from the start? Were you like, hey, I'm going to become a wholesaler. I'm going to make you know, hundred grand a year and, and I'll be good with that. And it kind of blew up or like, did you know that that was going to be your wedge into the space and, and you just ran it down? So for me, I actually started as an agent, uh, and didn't really know much about wholesaling, but realized that the majority of my clients that I actually liked to deal with were the investor clients, right? They knew what they wanted to buy. It wasn't an emotional buy and, uh, we could do a lot of volume together. And the biggest qualm that my investor clients had early on was they couldn't find good deals. So I quickly found out what wholesaling was. I was like, oh, I can make way more on a $50,000 house than 3% if I give it to them off market. Uh, and it started doing that paired with the agency to keep keep the bills paid. And truthfully, I just didn't like working with people that needed to see 40 houses before pulling the trigger. And uh, I dived into the wholesale after a client, you know, we saw 30 houses and she said that the feng shui in the last house made her think she didn't need to buy a house right now. And, uh, you know, I was a struggling college kid with no gas money driving around trying to trying to show this woman a house. So I kind of threw the towel in there and went went full scale into the wholesale. And, uh, you know, I've seen some great success from that and and then transitioned to where all the investors are making money by being owner operators and actually, you know, doing the flips and the new construction and stuff like that. Just really quick before we move on to the next topic. So for the listeners, can you just give a, a quick break on what wholesaling is? Yeah. So, I mean, typically what you're doing is you're acting as the middleman. You're, you're, you're doing marketing to sellers, uh, owners of properties that are in distress situations, right? Tax, tax issues, inheritance, all those types of things, uh, absentee owners. And you're making them a low, low enough offer to where you can make a little bit of money by assigning those contractual rights over to a flipper like myself or, 
uh, anyone that you've probably had on, right? So uh, it's pretty much being the middleman, doing some marketing and, and understanding them the sales and marketing process in order to uh, have a little bit of uh, equity in that deal and, and make some money. Got it. So wholesaling kind of helped you build that foundation. You started to meet other investors in the space. I mean, the guys that you were probably selling these wholesale deals to are legitimate operators. You're like, wow, like instead of selling these guys the properties, maybe I can you know keep some of that profit in my pocket. Is that kind of the the transition that yeah. took place yeah so what happened similar to the agency situation as i was selling to a couple of guys that uh you know would pay me twenty thirty thousand dollars a lick which is phenomenal money uh with no risk or real credit needed or anything like that right i wasn't having to buy the property but then i would turn around and see that same property marketed for two three hundred thousand dollars more than what i sold them for and i'd ask them I'd be like well what do, you, what do you have in this property and they're like oh seventy five thousand dollars so i'm like wow you know they made 150 grand in three months why am i not doing this i have the cash and partially you know just being young didn't really understand that i was capable of doing that and then uh i had one guy that was a big operator up in raleigh and he was like dude you need to keep this deal right he was like i want to buy it from you but keep it flip it and uh he kind of walked me through that and then we were off to the races and uh you know nowadays we don't really keep anything to wholesale most of it's flipping or, or buying holds or uh right back on the market so dawson i want to jump in there because i think you are uh you, you kind of breeze through what a lot of people I think struggle with, right? Which is is taking that next step and kind of building the processes and the network in place. So going from wholesaling, you learn the acquisition side, you figure it out acquisitions, right? Right. You dipped your toe in the real estate space there and, and kind of learned what you were doing, but then growing the processes, right? Getting the contractors, right? The the lenders, the title companies, mm-hmm. all those other pieces that go into rehabbing and, and dispositioning a property. Can you touch on that and what that process was like and, and some of the, the steps you had to take? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so, so for me, you know, we are already dispositioning to investors and putting stuff on the market before actually uh, contracting the property. So for disposition was uh, pretty simple for me. And, you know, obviously, Anyone that tells you that they got into real estate and had a struggle the last two and a half years is probably lying. You know, we were in a perfect market. You could, you could buy a house for a hundred thousand and list it for one fifty, and nine times out of ten, you'd sell it. Um, so blessed to, you know, kind of started my journey right before that, uh, and then started flipping heavily right, right during that. Right, can definitely make you a little uh, spoiled. But uh, you know, the biggest thing for me was when we were doing renovations, I had to learn a lot. Uh, lose some money with some contractors and, and uh, fumble a few times. But again, I was in a great market where I could fumble and overspend my $20,000 on a, on a project and get that out of the project. Uh, not necessarily the case now, but what that uh, forced me to do is bring everything in house. So I'm also a licensed GC or my GC company is licensed through me. And uh, we do everything in house because I like to have control on everything. So running the wholesale mm. company, I, I realized that I had control of almost everything during the deal. And now we we have that control in the rehabs and, and you know, that same operator that, that kind of forced me to do my first flip told me, hey, like, you need to set a standard right now. And he's a, a one man show and does several million dollars a month in real estate. Uh, and uh, his flips are the exact same. Right. It doesn't matter if the market is upside down, sideways or, or going up his quality of flip, even if he could be cheap on a couple of deals, it's, it's, it's the same throughout. And he instilled that into me. So. You know, my rehabs are, are very high quality. I probably overspend on deals I don't have to, but it makes up because my, my house is selling three, four days on the market, even in this market. So uh, I learned that stuff and, and, you know, really can accredit 
a lot of my early success uh, to two things is a being in the right room with the right people and b taking action when when action was necessary right so uh, i'm not a guy that is going to sit around and uh, ponder oh should i buy a flip is it raining outside today should i maybe wait off till next month and buy that next deal i'm, I'm willing to kind of yeah bet because i'm so young and uh, you know i tell everybody i can go bankrupt three times and still be ahead of most people in the world i'll take that risk and uh that's why i can accredit a lot of my success to is kind of just going two feet in really really early yeah dawson i'm i'm, I'm curious there right so like a lot of us have read the self-help books that talk about mindset, talk about resiliency, kind of what you said, right? Like not letting a, a stormy day or a stormy situation uh, make you shy away from an opportunity. And you're like, hey, I'm, I'm young. I can take the risk. Where where does that come from? And like, how do you how do you keep that front of mind? Right. So the markets have changed a lot in the last six months. It'd be easy for someone who was fan of heart to kind of get skittish and, you know, kind of start to take their chips off the table. Um, you changed strategy to my knowledge, but you haven't by any means stepped away from the space. I mean, you're, you're seeing opportunity, right? There's blood in the water. Right. Talk about, talk about that a little bit. Cause I think mindset kind of leads a lot of this. Uh, where does that come from for you? Yeah. I mean, so I don't have the, uh, typical guru story where I was homeless and then started making a bunch of money. I, I came from a, uh, a single parent household that we did. Okay. Right. We we're in a 600 square foot house and I didn't have to worry about when I was going to eat next. I had clothes on my back, but I never had more than that. So, uh, knowing that, you know, I'm able to, to do the things I'm able to do today, drive the cars and live the lifestyle I'm able to do right now. Uh, and I came from that. I, I know I can go back to that. And, you know, it took me five years this time. It'll take me two and a half next time. And, and after that, it'll take me a year to get back to where I'm at today. Sure. So that mindset is kind of what has allowed me to take those necessary risks. And also I think that I can accredit a lot of the continued risk that I continue to take uh, to understanding that like this is not where I want to be. Uh, I'm in no way content or complacent on uh, the current you know level where we're yeah. at. So we're we're constantly pivoting and, and looking for the next vehicle. Uh, real estate again, really grateful to have found real estate. The time I found real estate, but that's pushed me into new vehicles that have you know quadrupled, if not you know 10x my my net worth. So. We're always looking for that next thing, but I'm, I also understand that that real estate is kind of my my first, you know. So we stay involved in that. So as we pivot, real estate still has a large factor in our, yep. in our businesses today. Do you consider yourself a real estate guy, quote unquote? Yeah, that's tough, right? So like two years ago, yeah, I was a full real estate guy. That was everything. Uh, right now, I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur, and we're always looking for the next uh, opportunity. We're, we're you know, currently opening up two restaurants in Charlotte, which is, I never would have, I don't have any interest in restaurants, but the money makes sense, right? <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, real estate was my initial vehicle. And the beautiful thing about real estate is it's silical. So I can identify silical patterns. And, and right now it might be a really good time to be heavy down into it because there is blood in the water, but it also means you have to consider where your ROI is the highest. So I'll always be a real estate guy at heart, but I've kind of transformed in, in a way that there are other businesses that, that generate revenue a little bit faster, but real estate's a really good place to capture wealth and hold wealth. Yep. And I think I think we see that with a lot of guys in the investor space in general, a lot of investors um, that are in our space, they have real estate as kind of their foundation, their their pillar, and then they kind of have these different opportunistic offshoots. I think what Dawson makes you kind of unique is, you know, you... You know, you don't go at something half bore. You're, you're you're turning the 
the volume all the way up and, and running that opportunity down. The the one thing that you said that I thought was really interesting, you're like, hey, I got it was lucky timing, but you're like, I also was in the room with the right people. Yeah. So you don't need to name drop specific names, but like who are like the four to five people from a position, influence, like what is their role in your life? And like how how does that contribute to your success both in real estate and then, you know, getting into these new ventures that you're getting into as well? Right. Yeah. So there were two guys that were extremely, extremely uh, influential to me the first two years in business. One great guy, but he's a slumlord. He owns like 400 units in uh, the town I'm from. Uh, and I learned what passive income can do for you and uh, how not to be a slumlord, how to have better tenants sure. and that better properties. But I learned a lot of savvy business from him. Uh, you know, he's a 70 year old guy that probably makes a couple hundred thousand dollars a month on his rentals. Uh, so I learned a lot from wow. him. And then my other guy is that owner operator that's a one man show up in uh, Raleigh, Durham. I think his head's too big now. I don't really want to shout him out. He can't afford <laughs> to get a larger head. But, uh, you know, he showed me what was possible when you systemize stuff. And that's a really, really beautiful thing about our current real estate operation is, you know, we're, we're doing more today than we were a year ago, but I'm mm. completely phased out of it, right? I have a great project manager, a great foreman, a great COO that does all my sales guys and, and things like that. So, yeah. You know, I couldn't tell you how much money I have loaned out. I couldn't tell you how many properties we're currently working on. Uh, the only way I know is if I look at my bank statements and see the checks being wrote out for rehabs sure. and payoffs and things like that. So, you know, those two guys were super influential. I, I learned what an operator that stays in the business forever looks like uh, and an operator that systemizes and can do a lot with one person. So I've taken those things and the things I've learned from wholesale and transitioned those lessons into new businesses, right? So, two guys that are really, really influential. And then the next people are, are, you know, current business partners and ex-business partners, right? You can learn a lot from people you do business with and uh, what that looks like, right? So for me, I don't really like business partners and my current business partners know that. And uh, if they listen to this, they know that I kind of run the show and they provide value where they can and, and they have equity in a company we own together because of that. And then my ex-business partners showed me that, you know, again, I like to be a solo guy. Uh, and have really guys up, good guys up under me. So, yeah. um, you know, I use the analogy like Batman and Robin. If everybody's <laughs> looking to be Batman, then there's no there's no Justice League, right? It's just a bunch of Batmans running around and probably not that good. But if you find a couple Robins that can be up under you and still make phenomenal money, yep. you know, they they can kind of build a team and you can you can systemize and, and be out of businesses and, and still make money in them. I'm attracted to what you're saying about the uh, the systemizing things right because i've got to imagine that's freed up a, a ton of your time correct yeah i mean it, it definitely has i'm in no shape or form freed up because i as soon as i get something systemized it's on to the next thing right it has allowed me to open and run new businesses while not having to shut the doors on a previous business so so that's kind of where i was going with this because i'd assume that that's kind of how you're freeing up time to identify these other business opportunities can you tell me about that, right? Like, what are these business opportunities? How are you identifying them? Like, what kind of research goes in there? Like, what is that that additional free time that you're creating? What does it look like for you as far as putting those other businesses into place? 90% of our new businesses that we open up and, and start start with failing a couple first ones. Uh, so for this year, I think I've tried 10 new businesses, right? Throwing 15, 20 grand at each of those businesses. And uh, I'm okay to lose eight as long as two hit and they perform like my other companies, right? So for me, I've got a really good COO. He sits in the office with me. I don't have a private office, 2,500 square foot here in Charlotte and uh, 
2,000 square foot of that is filled with sales guys for my different companies. Uh, the other 500 square foot, I have a COO here, and we uh, kind of have the same process to every single business we've started. We have a little bit of a educational phase. We see if it's something that makes sense, and, and, and for us, it has to make sense as the ceiling can't be too low, right? Most wholesale operations make $400,000 a month at the complete height, right? The two top wholesalers, and I wouldn't even consider myself a top wholesaler anymore that I know of, can't crash past $400,000 in revenue a month. So for me, that's not that attractive. It doesn't really move the needle. Uh, and I know that sounds crazy, but I'm not looking to start another business that only does four or $5 million a year because then mm. you've got a bunch of low seven-figure businesses and you can't move on to an eight or nine-figure play. So uh, we started things that we thought were going to make sense, and they don't, but we have a couple that do, and, and then we kind of pour money into that. So my rule of thumb is I don't take money from a business for the first two years. So even if it's positive $2 million, we're going to dump that back in. Yeah, we may waste some money on marketing or just being a little bit too uh, aggressive, but I don't pay myself. So uh, my COO doesn't do the same. So we, we don't make any money for the first two years on companies we start. We pour it into employees and systems and processes and marketing. And then if it works after two years, we start making, a, making money. Uh, so we've been able to do that. We started a really, really cool managed service company that's uh, in the e-commerce space. So we handle uh, about 600 clients that do what's called Amazon FBA. And we handle all their fulfillment and product choice and things like that. We've got 50,000 square foot in Scottsdale, Arizona that we do that out of. And that was one of the ones that hit, right? But it took eight or nine really, really good ideas that I thought that didn't hit or didn't perform to the standards that we have established within our companies, right? So it, it may make five grand a month, but it may take way too much time or manpower to make five grand a month. So we cut yeah. it loose or, you know, we had a company that was making $50,000 a month, but it was really hands-on. And for me to get out of it, it would cost another 10 grand a month. So it doesn't move the needle. So we move on. Makes sense. Can, can you give us some examples of some of the failed businesses? We'll talk about <laughs> the good stuff, the successes, but I want to hear what didn't go well. Learn from failures. Yeah. We, so we, uh, you know, in the last year we, we started, a uh, data subscription company, right, for wholesalers. And it, it, it did really, really well, uh, but it also took a lot of time away from our employees to manage that data and things like that. I think at the height, we were doing about $100,000 a month in revenue at like a 40% margin. So 40 grand a month before I paid my employees and, and uh, my sales guy and all that, it, it dwindled down to 25 grand a month between myself and my, my partner in that. And uh, it was taking, you know, five, 10 hours a week out of our time dealing with, you know, uh, software issues, unhappy people, you know, they, they buy mm -hmm. 500 numbers and they think they're supposed to have 500 wholesale deals out of it, right? With that being said, we, we you know, we fulfilled our last couple orders and, and shut it down just because it was, it was taking up way too much of our time. We started, what else is another one that Oh, I, people always ask me to get into mentorship and stuff like that. And I almost did a discord community and decided I didn't want to do that. Right. Uh, again, it, it, it's a time versus money. I've got to, I've got to be enslaved to people that paid me a hundred dollars a month to be a part of this discord community where I can put together one deal and, and, and make that times 12. So, uh, sure. you know, those two have just been kind of, didn't make much sense, uh, as far as just income producing i mean we, we had not really had a business that didn't make any money but it, it it's like you know i can focus on three things three businesses that's 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 about my bandwidth and right now that's just not those are not deals that move the needle for us um and i don't think that anybody can really focus on anything more than that unless you're like a superhuman like elon that has 40 <laughs> businesses but i'm not so 
What what are those three, Dawson? Right. So it's it's real estate, it's the e-commerce, and then what's what's the third thing that you're working on? Yeah. So we're working on uh, a, a new commodities business where we're doing some oil and gas stuff, which it's a whole hmm. rabbit hole I can go down. But uh, that that we just hired 26 guys on in in the Greater Charlotte area. So uh, that that's going to be our main focus for the next months, six months to a year, and then we'll 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 get out of that. But really, right now it's it's e-commerce and real estate. Um, and uh, those take up more than 60 hours a week. So when it, when it comes to the business that have failed, so like you, you talked about a couple different metrics, but I'm curious if you have like a line that you draw on the same, where like if it doesn't hit this, I'm out and I'm going to fail fast and then get it out of the way. Is it like a dollars per hour? Is it a company, you know, total value by a certain date in the future? What do you, what do you look at there to be able to like fail fast and move on to your winners? Uh, yeah. So I look for six months to a year of me being in it full time. By full time, I mean 40 hours a week, hopefully shorter than that, right? For a winner, but I'll do that work. Uh, the real estate's beautiful because I put maybe five hours a week in it. So I have plenty of time and I work seven days a week, except whenever my girlfriend yells at me. But you know, like it needs to be able to to move the needle and move the needle for me is I want to be completely out of it. Meaning like I get a, I, I sit down with my current COO and, and uh, my, if there are partners or equity holders or revenue share guys in my current businesses, we sit down once a month for a, for a monthly meeting. That's a two hour meeting. I want to be able to know enough and not have to be involved past that mm. and still net a hundred thousand dollars a month. So Got it. if it can't do that in a year, I cut it. Makes sense. The next question I'll ask is, someone doesn't get into all these different business ventures. You, you name dropped or not name dropped, but position dropped a few different business partners that you have. You, you don't do that without being able to build networks and relationships very effectively. I think there, there's a ton of podcasts. There's a ton of literature. Uh, there's a ton of information in general on how to build relationships. There's there's no single correct way. What I'm curious is like what works for you because um, you, you found yourself in all these different positions to earn money with high value partners how, how do you do that and what's what's the successes and the failures that you've learned on on that yeah so i am call i am completely against partnerships on paper and in 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 businesses so for me uh, i'm just against that i don't think that people get into partnerships because they need someone they get into partnerships because they're scared to take a leap of faith on their own. Nine times out of ten, I, I do some high-level consulting, like to four or five people a year. Right? These people pay me north of six figures to to do phone calls weekly, and that's the only type of mentorship I do. And out of those five or six people, two or three of them have brought on a partner when they initially started a business. They did it because they were scared. They wanted someone to fail with. It's never you don't ever want someone to succeed with because you want all the money, mm-hmm. but you want someone to. Uh, be there if you fail, share the right? loss. Yeah, if you fail, you want someone to be like, "Oh, we we tried our best." Ninety nine percent, but all three of those people regret their partnership. They downloaded some LLC formation BS online. They have a terrible operating agreement. They can't get out of it. And one of them does all the work. The other person takes half the money and is chilling. You know, so I don't have partnerships. The businesses that I own with other people are on rev share agreements, and they have to hit certain metrics for me to for them to still be a part of it uh do they have a percentage of net profit yes but uh it's all rev share agreements so i don't think you need it unless you can clearly identify what someone brings right so nine times out of ten it's a startup you guys both have the same experience level you're not bringing something to the table it makes no sense right for us like with our commodities company 
there's someone that brings a heavily discount in the oil industry, right? We can get barrels of oil for, for pennies compared to what another company can. That's a value that I don't have. I don't have that connection. I don't have the ability. So they, ha- they are on a rev share with me. And as long as they can continue to have industry leading prices, they continue to make money off of what we're doing. Uh, that's the only way it makes sense for me. I, I think that, you know, I started my wholesale company with a partner. He's a great guy, really good dude. But what I found was, you know, when I wanted to not pay myself for the month and put more money into bandit signs or marketing or cold callers, he mm. wanted to take a check. And we check, were able yeah. to dissolve that very early on. And now I look back and what I've built, I never would have been able to build what I've built without taking risk and, you know, not having any money in my bank account some months because I put it all out into marketing. So with that partner, I would not have been able to do that. So, yeah, I think that the partnerships are stupid unless there's a... The, like inconceivable value with that other person that you can't go get on on your own. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, s- some people at different phases of their, of their journey, I think you're right, Dawson. Like they probably wouldn't take action if they didn't have that partner next to them. Right. So for some people, it might be their only way to kind of wedge in or like their only way in that moment in their mindset of like, I need this other person to fail with. But your perspective is super interesting because it's like, I think a lot of the developers that we work with that are operating at a very high scale, they have a team, right? They they have a team of employees. They don't have very many like dual partnerships and you know multi multi layered LLC agreements, things like that. For probably the exact reason you mentioned. So I, I think that's that's super interesting. And then from a let's talk about like no rev share agreements, no business stakes. Like how are you building relationships with like fund that flip and like other people that are in your neighborhood? Like how how did how does that come about? Oh, I, I mean, again, like, so, so we look at the value provided, right? So when I started, I needed a lender that was going to be able to fund quickly and, and give me the money that I wanted at the rates that I wanted. And that's exactly how we've done it. So I, again, I, I believe in doing business with people. I just don't necessarily think everybody has to have a stake in each other's sure. companies, right? Like I'm sure I've done several million dollars with you guys in the last few months. And I don't ask for fun that flip to cut me a check out of that. <laughs> because I'm providing value yeah. to you and you're providing value to me. Yeah. I mean, now if you guys want to sponsor a race car, you know, we can talk about that, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk to Kendall, but we'll talk to Kendall. Like that's not, that's not how businesses are, are, are formed. So yeah, we, we, I don't try to do that. I don't, I don't really, I have tons of agreements with people that say, Hey, like this mm. is what I'm bringing to the table. You bring this to the table and this is how we'll split any profit that comes in. But that doesn't mean that we sure. just set up another company. Everybody wants to go set up an LLC yeah. for fun. All right. Well, really good stuff, guys. Uh, listen, I think we have uh, a lot of material here. Uh, I think we want to get up, stretch our legs for a second, and, and come back and uh, maybe do this in a two-parter. So why don't we wrap this uh, for Brennan Bennett and Dawson Gant. I'm David Dugan. This is Real Estate Investing Unscripted, and uh, we'll see you on part two. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fund That Flip and produced by Conversa. Fund That Flip is here for real estate investors all over the U.S. We are the premier hard money lender connecting active investors to passive ones through crowdfunded loans in order to make real estate investing accessible to everyone. We believe providing transparency into our process as well as research and resources for investors at every stage, we can open up the world of REI to more people and help small businesses everywhere transform their communities and make an impact on their neighborhoods. Learn more at fundthatflip.com. Make sure to rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube.